0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I see some faces that I'm familiar with. My family's here all the way from Bermuda with me. My, my, uh, mother and father-in-law, my husband, my son, Keenan, and my goddaughter, uh, China. So we traveled. We're very tired. It was 22, 23 hours to get here We're in the Atlantic Ocean. So we've come clear across North America. <laughs> uh, three planes, but they fared very well. Um, my in-laws actually have come clear across the world. They just came back from Nepal, India on Monday and got on a plane to come to California on Wednesday. So I guess you can say that my in-laws love me. That's an extra blessing. <laughs> um, but a little bit about myself before I start. Uh, I started coming to the Amen Conference about four years ago, like Carlos said. Um, it dramatically changed my life in so many ways. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that throughout the presentation but um, I had no idea then last year even a month ago that this would really happen, that Carlos would have me speaking but God always has a plan for us that we don't even know. So I praise him that I'm here. My parents aren't here but they are so forward, they're looking forward to this audio verse because <laughs> they wish they could be here um, but I'm here um, I didn't get the opportunity of going to Loma Linda uh, for dental school. When I came to, I'm just going to come out of here real quick, just uh many of you familiar with this. So I didn't go to Loma Linda, but I came to the Amen Conference first time on the East Coast, and almost every dentist was from Loma Linda. And I was just like, I'm so out of place here. I did my... Uh, Dental Studies at University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Uh, my choice was between Lim Linda and Penn. And Penn went out because it was closer to home. Last <laughs> of a flight, so I chose Philadelphia. Uh, but I would say four years, five years ago, my husband and I got married. Six years ago, we got married. Our first anniversary. We came to California. It was my first time ever. We went to a conference. I never had the opportunity to go to Loma Linda. I interviewed actually on campus in Alabama. I didn't have to come out here. So I never saw the campus. I never saw the school. And just this past year, we have a senior at our church who loves Loma Linda. Anything Loma Linda, he is an avid fan. And he convinced my husband and I that we needed to take this trip to Loma Linda. And we came and we came and saw this. And it made such a tremendous impact on me. I mean, we are so blessed as a church. We really, truly are. If you don't know our Adventist pioneer history, you're really at a loss, really and truly. Um, I keep this picture on my computer, even though I didn't go to Loma Linda. It says so much about who I am as a Seventh-day Adventist. And um, it's just so inspirational to me to see that God had Loma Linda and his plan for what we're supposed to be doing as medical missionary, physicians, dentists. And so it's a reminder to me every time I open up my laptop that this is what God's calling was for us. So I just wanted to show that there. That kind of gives me my little Loma Linda connection a little bit. Um, but before we start, if you don't mind, I'd like to have a little word of prayer. I know that's probably a little different, but... Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this place right now. We saw pictures of what's taking place in Saipan just this week. And we're just so blessed that we can be here in this facility, unharmed, unscathed. And we just thank you. So we ask now as I speak to my colleagues, my friends, my family, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you will speak through me. That ultimately we can continue our work for you to bring souls to your kingdom through dentistry is our prayer in Jesus name amen all right let's see if I can open this back up again so Ken I met him I think last year at Hilton Head and he was trying to convince me to go to Saipan back then (laughs) I told him we have to talk to my husband about that but um he segued beautifully into my talk. Um, I did four years of training at University of Pennsylvania, and I really, really fell in love with oral medicine. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it. It's still not officially an ADA specialty in and of itself, but we are, the American Academy of Oral Medicine does definitely have a group of individuals, diplomats, fellows, etc., cetera, um, who actually do oral medicine what that is, we'll talk about it a little bit more in depth. Um, it's treating patients a little bit more holistically. Some of us, you'll notice, I've had a few people ask me already. I'm sure Joan gets this all the time, too. Our degree is a DMD. We're not DDS. <laughs> We're DMDs, and a lot of people ask us, what's the difference? Well, in dental school in Philadelphia, they told us, because our program was a more heavily medicine-based program. And so I fell in love with the aspect of medicine and I found that oral medicine was a great segue between dentistry and medicine and treating patients holistically. So our talk today is actually called Bridging the Gap. And let me see. There we go. So what that really means is we want to get past this concept of dentistries on the left and medicines on the right. After all, as Christians, we believe that there's one body. So believe it or not, our head is actually connected to that body, and they actually talk to each other. And Ken's presentation really, really leads home to some of the points that what we do actually impacts the systemic health, and what physicians do actually impacts the oral health. So we're going to bridge the gap a little bit today. So these are the objectives. Um, We're going to illustrate the importance of, and ways by which as practitioners, we can educate our patients on the connection between oral health and overall systemic health. How many of you are in private practice? Okay. How many people work in a hospital-based setting? Okay. All right. How many of you in private practice have missed cancellations in your book? Okay. I don't know if we'll get the opportunity to ask our physician colleagues that, but I'm pretty sure most physicians don't have missed appointments. And the general consensus is because when patients call to set up up an appointment for their doctor, they feel it's important that they be there. For us sometimes, if it doesn't hurt, it's not a problem. And that's a big issue because we really need to educate patients that bleeding in the mouth is a problem. If they wake up and their arm's bleeding, they're going to their doctor. But there are millions of people who wake up every day with bleeding gums and do absolutely nothing. And that's not healthy. Demonstrate effective methods of connecting the practice of dentistry, the oral cavity, with treatment of the patient's total systemic health through oral medicine. And describe ways in which we can implement spiritual elements into our dental office environment and our practice. So the dentist. Now, a few years back, and we'll get into this a little bit, most of you will look at this and be like, that looks like the Nathan Green painting, but something's different. So, just a little background on this. Most of you are familiar with Nathan Green's painting. I look nothing like the dentist in that painting. (laughs) So, I was visiting my moms from Haiti, and after the big earthquake in 2010, I went down there to do some work in the clinic. And I met a Haitian artist and I said to him, listen, I have a practice and I really love this picture, but it looks nothing like me. And I really want my patients to see the message of what my practice is about. And I want to see if you can recreate this somehow. Now, my patients come in and I don't know if you see it or not, but they believe that that's me. I don't know how he did it. (laughs) I didn't sit for him or anything. I believe it was God inspired, to be quite honest with you. Well, that's what's in my lobby. And so when patients come in, they look at this and they recognize automatically how I'm going to approach my care for them. So for all of us as dentists, we're to look upon every duty, however humble, as a sacred one, because it's a part of God's service. And our daily prayer should be, and I'm speaking to myself as well, Lord, help me to do my best. Teach me how to do better work, give me energy and cheerfulness, Sometimes my patients think I'm too cheerful. Help me to bring into my service the loving ministry of the Savior. But our attainments, everything that we try to do, will avail absolutely nothing if it's not put to use for the honor of God and for the good of humanity. Unless our knowledge is a stepping stone to the accomplishment of the highest purposes, it's worthless. And this is so true, and I found it, because sometimes, I'm sure all of you can relate, You have patients who come in, and you do your very best. You go above and beyond, and you know that that's your best work. And patients are still unhappy. Patients are still dissatisfied. No one can do it better. You know that. But they're still not happy. And the truth is, the patient's issue is not a tooth issue. There's something more. So, as we get started, I want to illustrate here the first objective, the importance of ways by which practitioners can educate our patients. Our dental health impacts our physical health, like Ken said earlier. So, he was talking about futuristically this concept of periodontal disease, but the future is actually here. We have now in oral medicine, probably oral surgery as well, um, there are labs popping up all over the continental United States where you can test saliva. Just like they're testing for BRCA1 and BRCA2 for breast cancer now, soon, we're going to be testing patients' saliva chair side to see if they're at pre-risks for heart disease, diabetes, some cancers even. I don't think it's big enough you can't see, but for the longest while we've heard there's a connection between heart disease and our oral health. But now they're starting to link it with even more illnesses, Alzheimer's, um, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, pancreatic and kidney cancers. They're becoming really major issues, and this bacteria that lives and breeds in our mouths, especially in patients who have poor oral health, is starting to show up like Ken said, in some of these illnesses that they're seeing systemically. So now we've got to start having a conversation. It's no longer the physician sending the patient to the dentist, because that's something in their mouth, or us even, a patient saying to us, look at this on my cheek, and us saying, just go see your physician about it. We have to be able to recognize these things and then treat our patients. All right. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. All men have been bought with a price. When they walk into our office, over there, our focus is their mouth. Really, that mouth is connected to a whole person. And that person has been bought with an infinite price, Christ's object last says. By pouring the whole treasury of heaven, our speaker this morning said, into this world by giving us in Christ all heaven, God has purchased the will, the factions, the mind, the soil of every human being, whether they are a believer or an unbeliever. All men are the Lord's property. So that means every patient that comes into our office are God's property. And we have to treat them like that. We have a sacred calling, a responsibility even. You know, it's really easy for us as healthcare providers to know what our requirements are by our dental boards, etc., our licensure committees, etc. But as Christian healthcare professionals, we have a higher calling. God is calling us to take our health care of patients to a whole nother level. So, they're not just coming in and they're going to be that root canal or that crown patient. These are patients that we have to look at how we can address them completely. All right, so what does this mean for the dentist or an oral health care provider? Well, first, it means that patients are are more than just a mouth, a missing tooth, a cavity, or a crown prep, or whatever it is that you think you've got scheduled in your column for the day. They're more than that. The second thing is that poor oral health has a cause, and it has an effect. I don't know how many of you were at the AMEN conference. I don't know if it was last year or the last time we were in California, um, but Out of Duane Lemon spoke. And he spoke about disease there being uh, a cause and effect. And as physicians, we have to be able to, physicians and dentists, healthcare providers, we have to be willing to look just beyond what's happening and treating the symptoms. He spoke mainly to our physician colleagues, but that really applies to us too. When patients come in and they've got swelling or they've got uh, a, a bad toothache or they've got a lesion in their mouth, it's not just enough for us to just take care of it and send them on their way we need to go the step further and help them understand that this is what's causing this to happen and help them fix what's causing the problem. So as Christian providers, but specifically Seventh-day Adventist Christian providers, we have to begin or continue to ascertain the causes and treat them, but also understand the effects that patients' poor oral health has on their total systemic health and primarily how this relates to their spiritual health. Because remember, for us, we know John, 3rd John 1-2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may as prosper and be in health, even as your soil prosperous. So if a patient comes in and they're unhealthy, what does that mean? They're spiritually unwell as well. And so we have an obligation to help them become healthy, not just what we call healthy sinners, but hopefully healthy Christians as well. So providers have to be knowledgeable and willing to educate their patients on their oral health being a part of their total health, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Uh, Like Ken said earlier, periodontal disease is not a dental condition, it's a medical condition it's a lifestyle condition it's a problem for the total health of the patient physicians don't treat this we do this doesn't make us a physician it doesn't make them a dentist it just means this is our role and for so long we've gotten used to separating roles that we don't recognize that a patient we don't cut them in half you know like Solomon said to the woman the two women and the baby let's just cut it in half and then each of you can have a part We've done that in the medical field for so long. I mean, sometimes, I don't know, some of you have taken over practices, you'll look in your patient's charts, and you don't even know who the patient's physician is. And I'm pro- it probably happens now, most physicians don't even know who their patient's dentist is. But it's time for us, as Christian providers, to try to change that dynamic, like Ken said. Get in touch with your patients, their physicians. Understand what are some of the lifestyle challenges that they're having, health issues that they're having, and how these actually impact their oral health. Because when you do that, ironically, your patients are actually going to recognize that there's something different about you. They're going to feel that there's holistic care. And what happens is you become more than just the dentist. The patient now comes to you to ask you for medical advice, which sometimes becomes a little intimidating, but they trust you because they recognize you have your best, that you have their best interest at heart. And like Dr. Schwartz said last night, um, when patients know they can trust you, they're open up to the gospel because they know that you have their best interest at heart. So providers should keep abreast of their patient medical conditions and any changes as well as the direct or indirect implications that result from poor, poor oral health and vice versa. I just want to share a, a quick testimony. Um, I had a patient who came in. In my office, um, how many of you take blood pressure regularly on your patients? Every visit? General dentist? Every, OK, all right. Um, in our office, um, we took some flack when we started, but it's, it's pretty common now, so everybody's on board. Um when I first came back, because I was I was the first oral medicine trained dentist in Bermuda ever, so when I started to implement something, some of my physician colleagues were very unhappy because I started to do blood pressure readings on every patient. So every hygiene patient that comes in, whether I do a recall exam or not that day, my hygienists take their blood pressure and we document it. So what happens when they come in, I see every patient at least once a year and I review, and if their blood pressure's been high at both consecutive visits, my directive to them is you need to see your physician and follow up with this. The first couple of months, I'll say even years, um, patients didn't come back with good reports from their physicians. I was supposed to be minding my own business. I just do teeth, they would tell me. Um, Can be a little unnerving when you're the new kid on the block, the youngest. And um, they can be pretty intimidating. It's only 21 square miles in Bermuda, so you can imagine <laughs> how quick you can have a bad name, so to speak, um, from colleagues or not. And you guys know, patients have no idea whether or not you're a good dentist or not. You know that, right? You could do the best work, you could do the worst work ever, and you still could be the greatest dentist. You do know that from a patient perspective, right? Say that again? Yeah, if it didn't hurt. Exactly, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So when it comes from the colleague's perspective, it's a little bit more challenging, but I really felt impressed with my training, but also because of my belief system that I needed to go this route. Fast forward about six years, eight years, I had a gentleman come in and he had a consistent high blood pressure, usually 170 something over like 90. Listen, you gotta work on that, work on that. Yeah, 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 I am, I am, I am, no problem he came back in this would be eight months ago now eight months ago for his recall appointment and his blood pressure was 201 over like 115 or something like that and my hygienist when, when their uh systolic is over a hundred my hygienist call me in every patient whatever it is um, and I go in, and I talk to him. I said, listen, you got to go to your physician today. Uh, you're walking heart attack, stroke, whatever. You're, it, that's what's going to happen. I don't want to pick up the newspaper and see you in the obituaries. And so he says, oh, I've been working. I said, well, it's not working because this is it for the last three, four years. You've promised. You haven't. So I'm really wanting you to go. So I'm not sure how how it works here in the US or even in California. But I'm pretty familiar with some of the health, there are are providers who have like wellness centers where they specifically can help patients with like lifestyle illnesses, diabetes, hypertension, stuff like that. So if you know about that, a little segue for the last one. If you know of any of them in your community or your churches have programs like that, have a little list in your office so you can refer patients to these programs, so that they can have, because it's one thing I've learned from patients, it's one thing for me to tell them something, but when they don't know where to go looking for it, it's another thing. So some of them really have the best intention, but they need the tools, or even to know where they could go get this help. So anyway, I gave him the contact information for two, two programs. One of them actually is a Seventh-day Adventist affiliate, um, and I sent him over to that practice, And I didn't hear anything back from it. Six months later, he came in for a recall exam. And actually, the day he came in, I was in surgery. So it would have been a day I would have missed his appointment. But um, my hygienist says, no, he really, really wants to see you. So I was just like, okay, no problem. So I finished up. He he ended up waiting for about 20 minutes. And um, I went to see him. And he was just like, Doc. I am just so grateful, you have no idea. And his eyes started to well up. And I said, what happened? (laughs) And he says, I went to that program, I've lost 50 pounds, I've changed my eating, I have never felt as good as I feel now. I can walk upstairs without losing my breath. He says, my blood pressure, I mean, I don't think I can remember the last time I saw numbers like this. He says, but I can feel the difference. I can feel if it starts to get higher. I can feel if it's lower. He says, you have no idea what you've done to me. And it means so much. Thank you. He says, this has been such a long time. You kept telling me. You kept telling me. And I wasn't listening. But, oh, my gracious, thank you. And gave me a big hug. And he's, like, really happy. And my hygienist is on the side. She's beaming. She's, like, so excited. Um... But it was one of the best moments of my life as a healthcare practitioner. And funny thing, as a dentist, it wasn't a crown. (laughs) It wasn't an implant. It wasn't the best burnished amalgam. It wasn't a composite that I couldn't even recognize because it looked so good. It was because the patient's life was changed in such a real way. And I'm not a physician. I'm a dentist and the expectation is not there for us to have that type of impact on our patients but we can if we take the interest in them so that's what it means for us as um, oral health care providers so what are some ways in which you can educate your patients i have a gentleman in my church i i've been the sabbath school superintendent for too many years now, <laughs> and he's in the class, and he always says in one of the classes, you got to make it practical. Every Sabbath, got to make it practical. So I had his conversation in my head when I put my slides together. So I said, I can say all of that, but just like I need to give the patients the tools, how can I give my colleagues the tools? If this hasn't been your practice, what can you do? So here are some ways in which you can educate your patients. Talk openly and honest with them honestly with them about their total oral health, as well as how it affects their total systemic health and vice versa. Have signs, have placards, have little um, pamphlets. Um, There's so many great ones out there. You can just order them and have them in your rooms or whatnot and and refer patients to them. But have that dialogue, have that conversation with them. Engage with your patients on a personal level. My hygienists are always, they're always appalled at how I can remember, and I think it's a—I think it's a God-given gift. I don't think everybody can do it. People have to write notes. I'm pretty good. If patients come in and tell me they were going to Panama or if their grandkids or their dog was about to have babies or something like that, I'm pretty good. That I don't even have to see it in their note when they come in and say, "How are those puppies!" or "How's the bird?" or "How was the trip to Panama?" And my my hygienist is just like. How do you do that? And she's been in practice very longer than I have. And she's just like, this is amazing. But believe it or not, that interaction with patients, and they recognize it. Patients can tell if you've been reading their chart or if you just know. So engage with your patients on a personal level. Um, Take the time to see what's important to them, what's exciting to them, what they like to do, um, and talk to them um, beyond just what's happening in their mouth. Take blood pressure readings for your patients. um, Routinely and review them with it so that they understand that it's really important. You're not just doing it just to do it. Discuss with them the chronic, most of us have chronic illness patients. Um, Diabetes, high blood pressure, HIV now. These are kind of like normal, let's just live with these diseases now. I mean, medicine has gotten so great, I guess we could say, that patients are living unhealthily, and they think they're healthy, which is very ironic, kind of talking about the curse of medicine, as we said this morning. But um, talk with your patients, your chronic illness patients, I'm um, about alternative mas- methods of care. I had a patient who came in for, um, how many of you heard about sleep apnea and dentistry? That's like the big, the big thing right now. I would even say the big money maker, because some of the things that they're doing, I personally think it's just a way to get money from patients. I, They just need to lose weight and run, and then they'll sleep, okay? I send my son out to run, and then he's knocked out. <laughs> not everybody. I'm not saying everybody. But I had a patient come in, um, middle-aged guy, at least 100 pounds overweight, self-diagnosed. With sleep apnea um, and he comes and he says listen I need you to make me a sleep device and I was just like a sleep device for what he says well I have sleep apnea my doctor mentioned it and he said it's possible they haven't tested me but I'm really sure that this is what I need to fix what's going on so I said okay well tell me a little bit about what's going on now for those of us this is different we we don't have 15-minute consults. so we have scheduled time for whatever procedure we're doing so Sometimes I have to send the patient away and bring them back for a separate consult. Sometimes, sometimes I have to forgo treatment for the day and actually have the conversation about what's really more important. So that's a decision that you have to make on your own. Um, But believe me, whatever it is, $150, $300, whatever the copay or production for the day, God will multiply it, believe me, it will be nothing I um, mean, you take the time with your patients. But anyway, he came in. He says, I want this sleep apnea device. I said, listen, um, I, I hear you, but I want to be honest with you. Can, can we talk about what's going on? So he said, yeah. So I said, so tell me a little bit about your diet. Poor diet. I don't think he drinks any water. About six cups of coffee to start the day. Um, four to five hours of sleep at night. Um, computer right before bed. He doesn't really um, get much exercise. Like I said, about 100 pounds of a weight. So I said to him, listen, um, before we go off a sleep device, um, Bermuda's kind of very similar to California and New York. We have a really high, uh, what is it, rate of living. So a sleep device to get it, because everything we have is imported. So even our cases get imported, except for those who have CAD CAM, stuff like that. But even the parts, everything has to be imported. So there are fees upon fees upon fees attached to all of that. So a sleep device, a real sleep device, um, is going to run a patient at least $1,000 in Bermuda. So I said to him, I said, well, listen, before we go that route, let's do some things that are going to be a lot more cost-effective for you, but that will actually help you feel better. I said, first, let's start with your eating and your exercise. You've got to exercise, you know? I said, listen, you don't have to get a gym membership, but at work, instead of taking the elevator, just start taking the stairs. You don't have to do it all day, every day, but say I'm going to walk up in the morning, i going to come down at night. Even if during the day you take the elevator, just start there. Just start there. If you're eating, Try to cut back on some of the things you eat. One of the things that's worked really great, um, I would say about four years ago, I completely revamped my diet. I completely went plant-based and it's amazing. I used to think it was for me, but I'm realizing it's been more for my patients because they come in now and I can give them so many recipes and tips. It's like unbelievable. Um, my mother-in-law and I started a, a, a cooking class and people keep asking us, when are you gonna have it again? When are you gonna have it again? But it's amazing because these personal decisions that I've made in my own life are now segues into how I can help patients. So a lot of this has to do with our own, um, our own walk, and how we grow and change. And I think um, Dr. McNulty said it this morning, you know, we've had this idea of uh, medicine and the gospel, but wouldn't it be great if medicine and the gospel was in an individual? And that's really what it is. Like, if it's in me, then how much more of a testimony that witness it is that I can easily talk to patients about something. So I talked to him about, um, how much time? Okay. <laughs> I talked to him about... Um, His diet and and changing his eating habits. So usually the first two things I kick off of all my patients' diet is, uh, red meat and dairy products. (laughs) I take them off right away and I said, listen, doesn't have to be forever, but I'm just recommending it, you know, for the next six to eight weeks, whatever. Just try to stay away from that. Um, I let them have fish. We are on an island. So, you know, I can't really, they'll be coming to me having withdrawal symptoms if they have absolutely nothing. So, I told him, you know, no red meat and things like that. And I sent him away. He came back, he had lost about 25 pounds, and he says, that was really great. Um, I started out great, but it's really hard. I'm busy, I can't commit to this, et cetera, et cetera. I really want the sleep device. And I said, okay, listen, well, let's take it a step further. What's your sleep habits like, et cetera, et cetera. And I told him, I said, you know, before bedtime, you really need to power down a little bit more. Don't stay in front of that laptop, you know, kind of really get your bath and let your body unwind so you can get some sleep. So I sent him away again, much to his dismay, but you know, it happens that way. Um, he came back. I feel better, but I still want the sleep device. So I said, well, can we agree to disagree that what I'm telling you is working, but you just want it? So he says yes, but I I share that because the patients do know when these alternatives do make a difference, especially when they stick to them. So discuss with your your chronic illness patients' alternative methods to care, and then provide programs in the area that they can get it. Provide literature and educate patients on the benefits of healthy living. Um, you guys are so blessed. When I came out here earlier this year, um, we met, oh, I forget her name. What was the tour guide's name? She's a fabulous lady at Limolinda. Melinda. She's like 80-something. She's amazing. She took us on a tour of the campus, but she gave us all this literature, on like health and like Loma Melinda magazine. And so I took it all back and I put it in my waiting room. And just before I came here, I was amazed. I was like, only like a couple left. The so patients come in and they take them. They take them with them. So put some literature and stuff on there, recipes, whatever it is. The patients actually do love it. So go ahead and put some of that literature out there. Um, talk to them about how they actually decrease healthcare costs by investing um, in more healthy living. Um, quality of life benefits that come with a healthy lifestyle as well as the longevity of life. And then this is a more personal one, but I think probably it is probably the most important um, because everything else comes out from this. Seek further personal growth um, and education in the total health connection. Like Ken shared um that website, I, I was really appreciative of that. I've never heard that book before. Um, but I took a picture of it. Like it's so important for us to continue to learn. Um, God has provided, whether it's the world or not, any type of education, God's given it. So you know it's it's really up to us to take advantage. and, and I think there's a slide in here that talks about how we are um, God expects us to get the most education that we can. So get take those classes or go online and, and look at these things so you can be more educated on it. So our objective two, uh, demonstrate effective methods of connecting the practice of dentistry with treatment of the patient's total systemic health through oral medicine. And I was putting this together, they weren't sure how this was different than the first one. But the, this, this is different than objective one in the sense that we're not going to approach our patients from an oral medicine perspective. So instead of them being looked at as just the patient for dentistry, we're going to look at them through the eyes of an oral medicine specialist and just see how we can do it. After all, our oral cavity is the gateway to the rest of the body. So what do oral medicine specialists do? Um, for those of you who don't know, this is this specialty of dentistry that's concerned with the oral health care of patients who have chronic, recurrent, and medically related disorders of the oral and maxillofacial region. And um, with their diagnosis and non-surgical management, they treat patients. Oral medicine kind of sits at the interface between dentistry and medicine. So what's our job description? Well, we're oral health care providers. We diagnose oral disease, either of local and or systemic origin, as it presents in the oral cavity. Um, And we provide non-surgical care and treatment for patients with chronic, recurrent, and medically related disorders. And it's my personal belief that um, as general dentists, everyone can actually function as an oral medicine dentist. Um, And I'll talk a little bit about that. So how can we do that? So first, as oral health care providers, as dentists, we can evaluate and treat our patients, not just the hard tissue, but the soft tissue. Especially now because of the um, oral medicine, there's an oral medicine specialist on Ireland. Most of my colleagues refer patients to me for any lesion in the mouth. Before, patients like I treated, when I first moved back to Bermuda, I had patients coming in who had lichen planus or other autoimmune illnesses that there are physicians even who were treating for antibiotics for years, or patients with TMD who were on narcotics for years, and all they wanted was to just give them another prescription for Parcostat. Um, It was really, really hard and frustrating, because I was like, man, why are these patients being treated like this? But I mean, I have to realize, too, that we've grown a lot um, in terms of education and our knowledge base, not just in technology, but I think dentistry is probably one of the fastest-growing Areas in any healthcare profession, but I think in any profession, really, um, as healthcare providers in dentistry, I mean, man, if you, if you don't read a, a journal or you don't read an article or you don't go to a convention, I mean, you're behind in a year because there's so many materials that are new out on the market, you know. Um, but you want to evaluate and treatment plan your patients not just for hard tissue issues, not just their teeth, but also things in their mouth, white lines. Striae is not normal. Most times that's like an autoimmune disease like lichen planus or something else and some patients can actually present and actually have no symptoms with it and you're the first person you or your hygienist who actually notices that there's a problem. So because the patients it's it's on us because the patient doesn't have an ache on their soft tissue to still address it. We can on one hand tell our patients you got to come in for hygiene because you don't have a toothache But then when we see a lesion in their mouth, because it doesn't hurt, we don't treat it. So we've got to be able to evaluate hard and soft tissue, become a little bit more familiar what some of these common soft tissue injuries or problems are. There are some great little pamphlets on oral um, soft tissues for the general dentist that you can get just have in your office. You see something, just refer to it. Don't be afraid to tell a patient. You know, I'm not sure what it is, but it could be this. But I want you to see either an oral surgeon or find an oral medicine specialist in your area. Refer them to them just to follow up with it. Oftentimes, these things can be of systemic origin. I had a patient come in once. Um, This was when I was in residency. And um, perfect health, looked fine, no problems. Um, He opened his mouth. His major complaint was that his gums were bleeding, so that's why they actually sent him to to dentistry. Um, We looked in, tissue very boggy. First thing you think, probably he's on Dilantin or he's on some type of um, seizure medication because his gums are just really inflamed. Um, You touch them, we used to joke as residents, you looked at him, his gums would start bleeding. And once we did some lab work on the patient, we recognized he had leukemia. And when the patient, when we finished with the history, the patient actually was walking around with his gums like this for about two or three years. He'd been in his dentist, he'd had hygiene, recalls, the whole nine yards, and they just kept telling him, you know, use your, all rinses do your flossing all that type of stuff and he even shared it with us and i take what patients say with a grain of salt because i know patients come into me and i give them a whole rundown on what to do and then they don't do it so when they come in and tell me well my dentist never said i really give my colleagues a lot more credit so i'm not going to say that they weren't treated but for three years he's telling me that his dentist said oh you just make more plaque than most people, which I don't necessarily agree with. But come to find out, he actually had leukemia. So we had to refer him over to oncology and kind of get him going through that whole process. And it's amazing, because of that, he was able to actually get treatment and he survived. So it was a really great rewarding thing because we took the extra time um, to look at what's going on. My first patient back in Bermuda, I, I remember her name, she's still living, so I can't really, say what it is, but very very um, elderly lady, she's about 86 or 87 now, very dear to my heart. Um, After I gave her diagnosis, I went in my office and cried (laughs) because I felt like, man, I'm coming and telling my grandmother she's got cancer. But um, she came into my office, she had seen her dentist, and she had a little swelling on her upper maxilla, on her maxilla. And they sent her to her physician. The physician told her, oh, you've got an infected tooth. And don't tell our colleagues that I said this, but some of them do do it. She had a denture, not a tooth. But he sent her to me anyway. It happens. I got a lot of calls in residencies for fractured jaws, and the patients just had dentures. But um, no offense Carlos. But um, she came into my office, and I had a look. And it did look like it could be an abscess, but the patient didn't have teeth, so I knew it wasn't an abscess of her teeth. And um, I had to do a biopsy. Uh, So we did a biopsy, and I sent it to the pathologist. At that time, I didn't know the pathologist on island was a derm pathologist. Um, There is a difference. And so they sent me back a report that said, not cancer. (laughs) I was like, what is this? Has done cancer is not a diagnosis. So if anybody sends you back a report this is not cancer, tell them that's not a diagnosis. So I got her slides and I sent them back to Penn to my pathology um, attendant and sent back and she had squamous cell carcinoma. I think at that point it was like stage four or something like that. So I had to bring in this elderly lady and I told her you know bring your son in and um, she comes in and she sits down and I tell her she's 80 at the time and I tell her I said you know you've got stage 4 cancer you're gonna have to have your jaw resected Um, the doctors will decide whether or not you've got to go through chemotherapy radiation and stuff she's 80 so you know surgery like this she's compromised anyway so we sent her overseas before that, at that time, actually, let me say this part. At that time, um, we were still going through formalities. Like I said, I was the first oral medicine um, doc back. In Bermuda, our insurance system is such that they had actually logged in treatment to physicians and dentists, again, separating health care. So I couldn't refer her for treatment. I wasn't qualified in their eyes. So it was about six to eight weeks before we could actually get her off island to see someone. And I actually circumvented that because I went through, I referred her to an ENT doc that I knew, and I said she needs to get off island. So we got her off, and she went, she had it resected, and it's been about 10 years now. And she came into my office probably about six months ago. She was just like, hi, I was just like, what's going on? Because she's got a little obturator up there and stuff like that. And she says, well, I had to come see you because my tooth broke off of the obturator. So I said, oh, okay, she says, yeah, but I'm not going to anybody else because nobody else could help me like you did. So it was just a rewarding experience, you know, when you take the time to really see what's happening with patients and to really look, um, it's great. So she comes back to fix a tooth, even though her biggest issue was cancer so many years ago. So we want to be able to look at those soft tissues and actually treat them. We might not be able to do biopsies. I'm a little bit more comfortable with them. I know some of my colleagues as dentists are not comfortable cutting. Like Ken talked about his experience learning it in Saipan. So I know here in the U.S. you've got an oral surgeon down the street or something. You're not comfortable. That's fine. But at least take the time to refer them. Have a look and make sure you send them. Um, so diagnose the oral disease of local and systemic origin. Again, if you can't diagnose, still take the interest. So if you refer them, don't just refer them and say, okay, I did it, and check it off. Keep up with it, because you're the primary. You're their primary. You're their dentist. So you're the, you're the chief of what's happening in their mouth, OK? Um, and then provide that non-surgical care. Educate your patients, and then provide referral care and review their care updates at visits so that they know that you're keeping up with their case. So again, here's that practical component. Here are some practical methods in which you can implement this using oral medicine to treat your patients. Include a medical history questionnaire. Ask them questions about their systemic health, not just if you know they had surgery or if they have hypertension or diabetes. Have a thorough one. I really, really um, advise this, especially for doctors who are doing surgery. It's really important. I mean, you probably already know this because I'm sure litigation in the US is much higher than Bermuda. But if you're going to do something, even like an implant, you're on the line. Like, you need to know. So make sure you have that and you review it, okay? It's not enough to make sure your admin just takes the information. Have a look at your patient's chart to see what's happening. Um, their medical doctor information, try to include that on a the space there. Know who your patient's physician is so you can have a rapport with them, okay? Um, consult with and share your care of your patients with their primary care providers. If you're doing major work, um, Ken brought up the issue of, um, root canal therapies, root canals, um, periodontal disease. If you have patients going to periodontal maintenance in my office, I like perio. I don't know if that makes me crazy or not, but I do, so. <laughs> So we actually have a pario program in our office because we have a periodontist on island. Again, I'm on an island. He comes every couple of weeks. So I treat most of my patients and get them at least the best that I can to a certain spot. If they're beyond that, then we refer them to perio. So if you're treating patients for perio, just inform their physicians um, and, and let them know so you, they know what's happening. Um, especially your periodontally, comp- periodontally compromised patients, and even some of your diabetic patients, too. You might need to do that as well, because there is a direct link with perio and diabetes, so just keep that in mind. Um, medical history review, um, engage in a full-depth, in-depth discussion as it relates to the health status, exercise, resumes, diets of your patients. This impacts their teeth, but it also impacts their um, oral health, I mean their systemic health and provide alternative lifestyle options, health messages. Um, Some of the uh, vendors in there have some great little small pamphlets and packets and stuff that you can use. Um, They're really great. Take the blood pressure routinely, um, especially for surgeries, that hygiene visits and stuff, document it and review it. Um, Educate and discuss again those natural alternatives for reducing hypertension. And complete more thorough soft tissue examinations on your patients. So you can make sure that um, either they're of local origin and then treat them, or if they're of systemic origin, just make sure they're getting the treatment that they need. All right, so the final one, this one's a little bit more of what our call to serve is here at AMAN. Describe ways to implement spiritual elements into your dental office environment and practice. And speaking from experience, this can be really hard. Um, Like I shared with you guys, I didn't go to Lima, Linda, so I didn't go to an Adventist. Um, school. As a matter of fact, I'd been through the Adventist education system, K through college. I went to an Adventist school, Bermuda Institute, which is a seven-day Adventist academy, and then I went to Oakwood College on a scholarship in Alabama. So I've been in the uh, Adventist system. So when I went to University of Pennsylvania, huge Jewish population. So there was some some benefits. I got to take exams on a different day than Sabbath. They made those adjustments for me, so that was great. Um, but we had professors who would get up in class and tell us, oh, whoever designed the Krebs cycle, I'd give him a C. <laughs> and I would sit there like, how blasphemous can you be? Uh, but it was really an eye-opener to really how really worldly people are and, and, and really give God no credit or even grade him that it's worse so um, this was really hard for me at first because I came from a system that really gave God no credit that really didn't teach us anything about God Um, so doing this in the practice setting was a little bit difficult for me and and that's where amen came in and and made a huge difference for me so I just have a few quotes that I really thought are really important they're really helpful for me Um, I don't know if you can see them or not but I'll read them you want to know to build as you will be able to furnish, to so relate yourself to society and to life, that you may answer the purpose of God's creation in you. God in your creation, sorry. As disciples of Christ, you are not debarred from engaging in temporal pursuits, but you should carry your religion with you, whatever the business, you may qualify yourself to engage in never entertain the idea that you cannot make success of it without sacrificing principle. And this is a testimony for me because when I first came to amen, I was just like, wow, how am I going to be able to implement this? How am I going to talk to patients about their spirituality when I'm doing a class five that like is such an oxymoron in my mind? But, um, I recognize, it started with the practice of dentistry. So when I finished doing a composite and there was a void and it's going to take me 15 more minutes, or do I just let the patient go because it's not a big deal? Principle. Let me take that 15 minutes and do that composite right. Let me, when that crown prep failed, let me do another crown for the patient on me. And it started there. Um, And God is truly blessed. Um, so much so, I, I, I had my son, and I really felt impressed that God wanted me to spend time with him. And so I cut back my hours, really, I'll, I'll have to share that story another day of my testimony with that. I had to have a, a C-section, I'll give you the short version. And so I was planning to go to work like six weeks right after. <laughs> and I was like, the day before I went in for surgery to deliver. Actually, my locum was from limalinda that's funny. He was trained at Limba Linda. That's a really, it's a small world, just so you know. So anyway, um, he came in and he was just like, what are you doing? I was just like, I'm just fixing the chair before I go. Don't worry, I'll be back in six weeks. Everything will be fine. But then I held my son and my whole world changed and God showed me that it's got to be different. And so I started to read a lot more and this quote really hit me because it's really the principle of the matter. A lot of times there are things that will work or can work, but is it the right thing to do by our patients, especially if we're going to take their money? Um, And I can't say what that is for you, but um, know that God is watching and that God knows. So whether or not your patients know or you know, um, God knows. And so it's left to you to always remember to do the principal thing. It's the privilege of every soul to be a living channel through which God can communicate to the world the treasures of His grace, the unsearchable riches of Christ. There is nothing that Christ desires so much as an agent who will represent to the world His spirit and His character. There is nothing that the world needs so much as the manifestation through humanity of the Savior's love. All heaven is waiting for a channel through which can be poured the holy oil to be a joy and a blessing to human hearts. There's no profession as intimate as ours. There's nobody, not even a GP, who gets in the face of his patients like we do. And so we have a really unique opportunity. I mean, whether patients like it or not, we're pretty intimate with them. And so we have an opportunity to interact with them at a different level Because even though it's the mouth, we're still a little bit more safe than some of them think in terms of their healthcare providers, in terms of physicians or or whomever else. So we have a unique opportunity to reflect to them that that, um, through humanity, the spirit of Christ in whatever we do. And so I really, really like this quote because I think it's really helpful in how we can implement that spiritual component in how we practice dentistry, which impacts what our office environment is like. So these are two pictures that I have up in my office. The right one I thought was like so cool. My first Amen conference. It wasn't this particular one, but I forgot his name. I think it was Dr. Kim or somebody like that. He showed some things he had in his office, and it just really like sent me into this space. Like, well, this is pretty cool. How can I do that? And I found this picture with this dolphin and these teeth. And I don't know how many of you ever saw this text in the Bible, Psalms 81.10, where it says, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. I thought it was really cute. My patients love it. They absolutely do. (laughs) They really, really love it. Um, And so I put it on there. I mean, it's so small, but it's just like, wow, how much more biblical can that be, right? So it sets the tone that, listen, God is in this. And they love it because it's just like amazing. And even when I walk by it, sometimes you get used to these things. But when I was putting the presentation together, I was just like, yeah, this is pretty cool. So just like little pictures and stuff like this in your office um, are really, really great. And it brings that spiritual component in it very easily. And you'd be surprised when you have this, how many discussions come up just on this picture. And it's an entering wedge. And then there was a colleague of mine, um, I would almost say like a father in dentistry. Um, he gave me this plaque, I'd never seen it before, it's a dentist's prayer. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but it's a beautiful prayer. It says, Lord, be with me daily as I practice dentistry. May I treat with gentle hands all who put their trust in me. May my calm assurance help to erase their fears, to relax the tense adults and dry the child's tears. May I treat each patient with competence and skill, whether a difficult procedure or a tooth that I must feel. As I diagnose and treat, be with me all the while and reward me with my patient's lovely, healthy smile. And the beautiful thing about this is that whether we believe it or not, we're handing out crowns, but God is going to hand us a crown based on what we do with our patients. And so we want to make sure we keep this in the forefront of our mind. So again, that practical method stuff. Um, Christian artwork, like my dolphin, open up wide. Um, Really great. This is another one. You can't really see it on here. It's a little small, but it's a prescription. It's a picture of a prescription. And it says, Christianity, Christianity, taken daily and as prescribed, cures everything. um, And it's signed JC, Jesus Christ. It's really cute because patients think that's a cute little thing too, but just these small little things open up um, dynamics with patients. Pray with patients. This is really an amazing I can't even tell you how this has changed my life. In the beginning, I was just like pray with a patient that is just the most awkward thing to do with them sitting in your dental chair and be like, can I pray with you? Because it's its not life and death, we, you know? It's not like you're over our table and people are gonna be like, sure, surgeon, whatever. Mind you, an anesthetic needle, a lot of patients are like, sure, whatever. But um. Praying with patients has been such a great thing for me. I had patients who come in who are really, really anxious. And I had a lady come in. I didn't know her background. She was from the US. I could hear her accent from the South. And um, she was really nervous. We had to take out a tooth. And I said, listen, would you mind if I pray with you? And I think it shocked her. I think if I had had like a hard, a blood pressure reading on her, it would have been like sky high. She was just like, what? I'm from America, they can't pray with me over there. So I prayed with her and she calmed down a lot, but to this day she still talks about how she can't believe that her doctor prayed with her before procedure. And it made such a big difference, it just like catapulted me. Um, I pray over my, I think it was Carlos a few years back, he mentioned, um, I go in my office some mornings when things are a little tough, where I know I'm gonna have a tough procedure, I try to get in early and I pray over my office. I don't know how many, how many of you have a complete Seventh-day Adventist office staff? Nobody, right? I don't either. As a matter of fact, I'm only one of two in my eighth clinic office. And um, believe it or not, my prayer with patients is a witness to my staff, too. So it's, it's really a beautiful thing. So much so that some of my staff come in and, and we have morning huddles. Sometimes they would say, Doc, can you pray? Which is a whole other testimony that I have to share another time. Lobby literature, like I talked about, I'm having some of those pamphlets, the health pamphlets, but also some of those signs of the times, the glow tracks about health. Patients love it. Anything free, patients love. So if you have it, they're gonna take it. Um, and it's it's wonderful. Special notes, I implemented this, I don't know, maybe about three years ago. Nathan Green, the, the dentist picture, they actually have postcards. And so Bermuda's much smaller, so you guys probably don't see this, but. In our newspaper, they run obituaries, and they list like the family and stuff. Every patient who dies in our practice, we send a card, one of Nathan Green cards, to the family expressing our condolences. We may not have met the family, but because their relative was a patient in our practice, we send them a special note. You have no idea how much that means to families. I mean, patients come because We got a note from your office when our dad died or our mom died or whoever. It's such a great, great witnessing tool. Um, Staff interaction. Again, how you treat your staff as a Christian impacts how your patients view you. And it also impacts your witness. Because remember, not just your patients have been brought to you, but so is your staff. God's going to hold you accountable for the influence that you've had over their life, whatever that may be. So just um, make sure that you're interacting with them at a level that they are being exposed to Christ. Morning huddles. Oh, I'm just like so over on time. I'm almost done. Morning huddles or devotions. We have morning huddles in our office. And I don't know if you're familiar with it's um, his name, Ralph Marston. Anybody familiar with him at all? He has, it's, I didn't put it on here, but you can write it down. It's called the Daily Motivator. It's not a devotion per se, but he's a Christian author. And so it's like an inspirational thought, but it's Bible-based, but you wouldn't know it's Bible-based. So it's a very perfect way to implement almost like a spiritual devotion with your staff first thing in the morning before you start. So it's the thedailymotivator.com. Um, so having those morning devotions to kind of start your day with your staff. Like I said, we're answerable to God for the souls of those with whom we are brought into contact. And the closer our connections with our fellow man the greater our responsibility we are one great brotherhood and the welfare of our fellow man should be our greatest interest we have not one moment to lose if we have been careless in this matter it is high time that we were now earnest to redeem the time lest the bloods of souls be found on our garments as children of god none of us are excused from taking part in the great work of christ in the salvation of our fellow man it will be a difficult work to overcome prejudice, some of which is already inside of us, and to convince the unbelieving that our efforts to help them are disinterested. We're not trying to sell them more dentistry. But this should not hinder our labor. There is no precept in the Word of God that tells us to do good to those only who appreciate and respond to our efforts, and to benefit those only who will thank us for it. God has sent us to work in his vineyard, and it is our business to do all that we can. Ecclesiastes 11:6 says in the morning sow thy seed and in the evening withhold not thine hand for thou knowest not rather shall prosper either this or that we may never see the benefit of what we do this side of the kingdom but I promise you that you definitely will see it when you get to heaven and that's really what our end goal should be I just want to end this really quickly here of late I would say the last three months or so Enoch I don't know how many of you read there's not a lot on Enoch But I've really delved into a study of him, and it's really become my mainstay. Enoch's walk with God was not a trance or a vision, but in all the duties of daily life. As a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a citizen, he was the unwavering servant of the Lord. Enoch walked with God. He honored God in every affair of his life, in his home and in his business. He inquired, will this be acceptable to the Lord? And by remembering God and following his counsel, he was transformed in character and became a godly man whose ways pleased the Lord. We are exhorted to add to godliness brotherly kindness. Oh, how much we need to take this step to add this to our characters. We are to obey the laws of his kingdom, making ourselves all that it is possible for us to be. Earnestly, we are to cultivate the highest powers of our being, remembering that we are God's property. God's building we are required to improve every day we may by earnest persevering effort rise to the highest spiritual efficiency we are to please God this we may do for Enoch please God they're living in a degenerate age and there are Enoch's in this our day and this is the final thing for what we can do prayer Our attainments will avail nothing, like I said earlier, if we do not put it to use for the honor of God and the the good of humanity. Unless our knowledge is a stepping stone to the accomplishment of the highest purpose, it's worthless. No matter how many crowns we place, how many fillings we fix, no matter how many abscesses we correct, if it's not done for God's glory, it's in vain. And this is my prayer, and I encourage it to be yours. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And so, for my dentists, my colleagues, are you willing to serve your patients holistically? This media was brought to you by Audioverse